Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here again with one of our guest hosts, Dylan. How are you doing, Dylan? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm phenomenal as always. So Dylan, for those that uh, watched the, the last episode and, and hopefully uh, you, you take a look at his, his origin uh, episode, I guess, uh, he comes to us with a background in, I guess, mental training. So he's an athlete himself, uh, junior national champion in, in, in Taekwondo, and he's taken uh, a lot of the things that he's learned uh, over the years and, and now is helping athletes uh, become more successful, mostly on the mindset side. And now he's actually venturing more to help uh, business professionals. And I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation of how a lot of the the uh, mental training, the, the toughness, the techniques can be applied also in, in a business or a tech world or just in the in the career working space. And it doesn't you don't have to be a professional athlete uh, in order to take what he does and apply. You, you could be kind of anyone. Um, so if, if we were to, to think about someone that would probably benefit most from this training, so probably a business professional, maybe in senior leadership, uh, looking to, I don't know, move up the ranks or what would be the type of person that uh, would benefit most for, for your type of mental training on, on the business or the tech side? Mm-hmm. You know what, at the end of the day, mental training, mental skills in general are so transferable, right? It's the reason yeah. why athletes benefit from it, people in business, relationships wise, you know, mental mental skills are so transferable between anything you're doing. On the business side, I think there are a bunch of different demographics I think that can probably get the most benefits. I think number one would be entrepreneurs, right? You know, people that are managing a lot of kind of, you know, juggling a lot of balls at the same time in the air and trying to manage those things and and be a little bit more goal oriented and focused. And, you know, the motivation and drive might be there, but it's adding a little bit more structure to the mix. I think that's, you know, one type of person that, you know, sees a lot of benefits from that. I think another person, you know, like you said, upper leadership management, you know, especially like those C-suite positions when you're responsible now for managing a team, uh, you have different deadlines that you're responsible for and managing all those different variables at the same time. That's another kind of great place to, to tap into. Um, I think another big one is anything in sales, right? You know, if you're mm. responsible for closing deals, um, marketing, I, really, like I said, it's it's so transferable. And when you realize that mental skills under, it, it's kind of the underlining factor to success in whatever it is that we do, because you could have, you know, a great skill set in these other domains. You could be a great speaker you could be great at content creation you could be a great designer but at the end of the day you know if you can't really execute on those skills that you have you know you're going to run into some problems so i think really you know mental skills are one of those things that are extremely transferable between whatever it is that you're doing sounds great so if if we kind of take let's say one of the case studies let's call it an entrepreneur right and maybe we'll uh, bounce back and forth between them so if, if i'm an entrepreneur you talk about mental skills mental training like what is that why is it important to me? Why why, why should I even uh, pay attention? So I'm, I'm starting my own business. Uh, I have an idea, um, and and I, I'm out there. What 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 is this mental training that I should be so worried about? Yeah, you know what? There's a reason. There's a reason why, and I don't know what the statistic is. If it's like ninety percent, or how many you know entrepreneurs fail after kind of one year, yeah, right? And yeah. you know what are the 
what are the goals that we're typically setting as an entrepreneur? We're looking for more clients. We're looking to make sales. Yeah. We're looking to develop whatever the product is. It's very much so kind of results outcome-based thinking, right? I need X, Y, and Z to prove my success. Let's do that. And, you know, most people think that way. And if that was the perfect way to think, I think we'd find a lot more success, but there's a reason why the fail rate is so high. So yeah. when it comes to the mental side of that training, it's taking a step back and saying, okay, before we start to build on top of this kind of you know, rocky foundation, let's build the foundation first, right? Let's figure out a structure, some guidelines some goals that we can set and not goals that are necessarily even related to results-based, outcome-based things, Goals for, you know, things like, you know, I want to be able to um, develop my speaking ability so that when I'm talking to potential clients, so I'm able to convey myself appropriately and get the message across without kind of rambling and, and saying things that are too long. I want to be able to be succinct, little things like that. Right. Being able to focus on micro goals day to day, because it doesn't matter how big, you know, your aspirations are for the end of the year or for your five year plan or whatever it is. People like to think like really long. Right. My, sure. my 10 year plan is, is this. I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, think about how many people's 10 year plan got completely shaken up when COVID happened. Right. Sure. So you need to be able to adapt and be flexible and be fluid and, and still have that strength and structure, but also have those mental skills to be able to bend and, and flow. And that's really what a lot of mental skills training is, is how do you do that? How do you train your adaptiveness? How do you train your ability to go with the flow and stay optimistic despite you know setbacks? Because that's what entrepreneurship is. It's setback, 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 but continuing to kind of pick yourself up and keep going. That's all mental, really. For sure. Yeah. And I love if you kind of extend some of the other uh, applicable areas. So so for these mental skills, you talked a little bit about time management, getting goals, setting goals, being okay with like things like failure and what have you. Um, you talked a little bit about communication, like presenting yourself, connecting with folks. Um, are there like two or three others that you'd also uh, kind of see very prevalently in the folks that, that you deal with that uh, are, are very common um, for, for you to work and help help folks through. Yeah, I think I think another big one in terms of different kind of pillars to uh, to, to mental skills is, is self-talk and, and positive mm -hmm. self-talk. I think it's easy to and this is for anybody. This isn't just kind of people in business. It's easy to be critical of ourselves, right? When something doesn't work, you think, man, maybe, maybe I'm no good at this. You know, maybe there's something wrong with me. Why can't I do this? You know, this sucks, right? And it's, it's understanding that even you just thinking those thoughts, it's contributing to the problem that's there, right? Mm. How can we reframe things and restructure things in a way that keeps us optimistic, keeps us positive, keeps us with that motivation to push forward? You know, positive self-talk, it sounds great, but if you're not actively working on it every day, how are you going to kind of train that muscle the same way you train other things, right? You want, you know, bigger biceps, you go to the gym, you lift weights. If you want to be more optimistic, you have to train it, right? You can't just yeah. kind of wake yeah. up and say, I'm going to be an, an optimist today. So that's another part is, you know, what are the things you're saying to yourself, right? When you hop off a sales call, it just doesn't go your way. Are you disappointed? Is your head down? Or are you saying, okay, you know what? There's a couple of things I can take away from this. The next one I have in 30 minutes, I want to make these quick adjustments. Let's see how it goes. I was close. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. You know, let's keep at it. it. That that's another big part of it too is that positive self talk. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And, and I was talking to someone where well, he had he had the contention between positive self talk. It's like, well, does that mean you're just saying like like everything's rainbows and unicorns and the, the day is awesome? I just lost a client. Oh, that's good. That's amazing. I lost a client. It's like, 
so we actually adjusted and say, well, instead of talking, calling it positive self-talk, how about we call it optimistic self-talk? Because yes, it actually sucks, but the optimism part is, and it can get better, right? So you, you uh, address it for what, where it is because losing a client or not getting a sale or whatever, that's not great. So you don't want to be positive about that, but you want to be optimistic in the sense that this is what I can do. This is what I can learn from. This is what, what I can do to get better, which, which I think is, is, is what, what you addressed in there, which I think is uh, amazing. Yeah, you know what? I, I totally agree with that point. I, I think there is a big difference between genuine optimism and delusion. I, I definitely do believe <laughs> in this like toxic positivity thing. And and here's how I explain it to you. And I think you touched on it perfectly. Let's take a step back and let's look at it from an athlete point of view. Okay. Mm. Athletes deal with injuries a lot, right? Let's say you break your hand, for example. Let's say sure. you're a fighter and you break your hand. Nobody is telling you to say, man, I'm so happy that I broke my hand. This <laughs> yeah, is the yeah. best day ever. No, there's no one that would ever think that way. But how do we put a bit of an optimistic spin on it? We say, okay, well, you know what? You got a lot of other tools. And, and you know what? Maybe the better thing to come out of this, the silver lining, is it's going to force you to develop some other skills that you wouldn't have really put the time into because you never had to. Right. So if you love to work that jab with your left hand, but you broke your left hand, maybe it's going to force you to work on maybe switching stances. Maybe it's going to force you to work on your kicks. Maybe it's going to force you to work on throwing shots from different angles. And guess what? When your hand does heal, because it always does, not only will you be back to baseline, but you'll be back to baseline plus all of the other skills you developed, right? Working on those, those peripheral skills. So while we're not saying, you know, wake up with a smile that you broke your hand, it's, there are good things that can come out of it, but if you focus on only the problems, that's all you're going to see. If you focus on the obstacles, you run into those obstacles. If you focus on the opportunities between those obstacles, well, then you start to make things happen because at the end of the day, you can't control now that your hand is broken, but what you can control is what you get out of that, right? After those yep. four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, are you going to just kind of be in the same place you were a little bit behind because you've just been bummed out the whole time? Or were you actively developing the kind of peripheral skills around that, that now, now that you're healed are way better. So it's the same thing in, in business. Like you said, you're not going to jump for joy when you lose a client, but you can say, you know what, I'm going to take as much out of this experience as I possibly can. So that the next time I face something that looks like this, I'll be better equipped to manage that, which is why that happening sucks in the moment but I can see it being used for the better as long as I make it better. Right. And and that very important point, because um, I mean, not everything's going to be amazing. Right? So, but I, I think what you said about the reframe and the perspective and uh, less about what it is and why it happened and all that sort of stuff is more about like, what can you do about it? What will you do about it? I think is, is very important because it often translates into some sort of action that you want to take uh, later on. Um, and, and I love if you are able to share at like at a high level. So if, if I were to come to you, I, I'm, I'm a busy entrepreneur and, and, and I have all these things and I have a bit of that negative self-talk, right? So maybe I'm a, I don't know, an eight out of 10 on the negativity scale <laughs> from a self-talk. How could you work with me to, to bring it down to a seven, six, five, four? Because it's going to be a journey, right? It's not going to be a, a flip. Uh, switch that's flipped so that I'm automatically a, a, a two. <laughs> um, it's going to be exactly like you said in, in, in the in the gym. You work out, you get a little bit stronger, but it's not going to happen over, overnight. Uh, wh what are some of the things that that I could look forward to to, to doing with you? And and uh, maybe if you can share a, a tip or or two uh, for folks to, to do on their own um, to, to get started before they come in and seek out your help. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. So I think the first 
I think it's important to to note that the goal is never to completely eliminate something like that because it's not possible, mm. right? Yeah. You're never going to completely eliminate negativity the way that an athlete can't completely eliminate being nervous, right? I think mm. the moment that you make that the expectation, you become even more vulnerable because when it does happen, you're like, oh my God, this wasn't supposed to happen. What's wrong? I trained for this. Why am I still nervous? Or why am I still down on myself, right? So it's not about eliminating it it's about being able to have the skills to manage it and kind of perform through it so on mm -hmm. the self-talk side a big thing on what we do is is reframing so it's mm -hmm. let's use the negativity as an input right because that's natural you can't control it you know something happens you have that instinct to, to think negatively fine that's the input let's work on the filter and then let's output something positive. So that's kind of the way I like to look at it, which is, you know, we're not building force fields. We're building filters, right? We're not blocking out all this negativity because it's bound to happen. It's going to happen. But what you can control is the filter that you use to go from negative to positive. So, you know, going back to that injury example I said before, the negative self-talk is, man, you know, I broke my hand. I'm, I'm, I'm so far behind. You know, I, I can't believe I don't have access to my main tool. You reframe that to, okay, but you know what? This gives me a good opportunity to develop the other tools that I have maybe not put as much time into so that when I'm not injured anymore, I'm going to be in a, in a much better spot. You know, that's what it comes down to. Even something as simple as like, I, I'm trying to think of another good example for, for reframing, you know, something as simple as, you know, waking up in the morning and you're just, you're exhausted, right? Hmm. Alarm goes off. I think everybody that's like, their very first negative self-talk statement in the day. And, you know, most people, some people are like, well, you know what? I'm not that negative of a person. I don't know if I have negative self-talk. Everybody does. It's just a matter of how conscious it is or how subconscious it is, right? Like I said, the alarm goes off in the morning. Subconsciously, your first thought is like, oh my God, I'm so tired, right? So again, yeah. another opportunity to reframe it to even just saying something as, as simple as, listen, let me just get up, you know, build the routine of, of standing up and, and I'll feel better. Like the moment I stand up, I'll be okay. And I'll be glad I did it. Right. So we're not blocking out negativity. We're just finding ways to filter it, reframe it, turn it into something better. So an activity that we do is writing out all of those different negative self-talk statements that come up during a day and working one by one and how to reframe, reframe, reframe. Let's look at kind of the input. Let's look at the desired output and let's work on that filter in between. Because again, you can't control the atmosphere. You can't control the environment. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you decide to kind of um, to deal with that, how to think through it. So that's a, a big activity we do is that kind of filtration where we go from negative to positive and work on the framework to filter it as opposed to just hoping to block it out because that's never realistic. Yeah, I think that's such an important point where uh, those folks that um... – spend the time to kind of block out all those sorts of thoughts they're just uh kind of if you're in a swimming pool and you have one of those big floaty things and you kind of push it down underwater eventually it will poof <laughs> and and explode in, in, in a flurry so uh, be careful on doing that and i actually find that a lot of folks with the whole um kind of meditation and mindfulness there's a lot of folks getting into that they almost use that as a distraction to say okay no now i gotta meditate and think positively and and all that it's like well why not take a, a, a some time to process, to reframe, to understand, okay, how could this help me? How could this serve me? Um, reminds me of the whole kind of glass half empty, glass half full type of thing as well. Uh, and, and one of my favorite quotes is, uh, for there is nothing good or bad and thinking makes it so. 
Now, the whole point is to consciously, as, as you mentioned, think that and say, okay, well, is this thought true? Like, is this actually going to help me is the other part of it. And uh, yeah, so I think I, I love the, the concept of the writing it down, because once you have it there, you're like, oh, this sounds dumb. Why did I even say that, right? So hopefully folks can come in with pages and pages of that <laughs> and, then, and then work with you to, to say like, well, well, what could I do instead? Yeah, so you I think what? that... I yeah, think, um, yeah, just kind of like a final final thought on that is that one way to, to think about it is that emotions are very real, but the labels that we put on those emotions aren't, right? Hmm. You can't control, like I said, if you feel discouraged, if you feel frustrated. I mean, these are natural occurring emotions that you really can't do anything about in that moment to prevent it from happening. It, it just is what yeah. it is. If you bang your knee against a wall, it's going to hurt. It's, it's just what it is, right? So emotions are real but the labels that we attach to them aren't always. So again, going yeah. back to that, if you have a presentation and you're thinking, man, I'm really nervous, right? Your heart's beating, you're, you know, you're, you're, you just, you just feel like tense, right? You're nervous, but then the moment you label that as a bad thing, oh man, I'm so nervous. What if I, what if I'm just not able to, uh, to speak up? What if I forget everything I'm about to say, right? Well, now you're adding a label to it that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Why couldn't the label be something different? Why can't the label be, man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. My heart's pumping. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to kill it, right? I've, I'm pr I've practiced this. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. So you're taking the same feeling, right? Your heart's beating, your blood pressure, right? You're like sweating a little bit. But you change the label from I'm nervous, what if this goes wrong to I'm excited, I'm hyped, let's do this, right? So the emotion is real. The label is what we change. We're not trying to change the emotion because it's not natural. Yeah. We're letting the natural emotion play out just with a different label. And sometimes changing the label goes a long way. For sure. I love what you you said about that, where uh, sometimes it's just a simple like uh, adjustment. Nervous equals excited. That's super simple, but oftentimes in the moment, <laughs> it can be ridiculously hard to do that. So I guess that's where uh, the preparation and thinking about like, well, what would you want to think instead during this time? And the next time you do it, see if you do it. And the goal is not perfection, it's progress, right? To identify these uh, after the fact, and then, and then uh, can you identify them? during the fact or, or at the same time and as quickly as possible. So it used to take you, I don't know, an hour to, to get through it. Now it only takes you two minutes to get through it. That sort of thing can, can be helpful, but it'll never take you zero uh, because to get rid of those emotions aren't necessarily uh, helpful. And, and I'm wondering if you can address something like imposter syndrome. So that's something that a lot of folks come to me about and, and how to deal with it. And I would imagine that your clientele would, would also do that. It's like, ah, I'm here with so many elite athletes, so many elite people. They're so much smarter than me. They're, they have billion dollar companies or whatever like that. Um, and it's just little old me. <laughs> so so how, how might you reframe or, or, or help folks with, with uh, something like imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know what I think I think imposter syndrome really stems from just how you how you view your own identity and instead of looking outward at other people and comparing yourself to them bringing the energy back to yourself. So instead of saying where do I rank among all these people, really just focusing on yourself and saying like what are the skills that I have that, you know, allowed me to be here in the first place, right? Even if you're in a room of like very, very successful people and you feel like, man, I haven't achieved any success to even like mm -hmm. look at these people, breathe the same air as them, you have to go back to yourself and say, okay, well, like, who am I? What even got me here? I mean, listen, the fact that, that I'm, I'm standing in this room must be a win. You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, would be honored just to kind of be in this atmosphere. The fact that I'm here, whether it was because they, you know, you were proactive, you got a ticket or whatever, if it's a conference, you found a way, 
that's a great thing, right? So you might not have like the experience that other people have or the perceived wisdom that other people have. And it's about, instead of saying, I'm not at that level, I don't deserve to be here. It's man, I've got so much, I've got so much space to grow and to learn like this is the best place for me. And, and again, it kind of, it's funny, it goes back to that self-talk, right? Because we're changing that self-talk from, I am the lowest member of the totem pole here. I don't deserve to be here, which gets flipped into, I have the most to learn at anybody here. I am actually going to get the most value out of this because everybody else has already been there, done that. I haven't yet. There's no better place for me to be than this. And then again, going back to your own skill set, but what am I good at, right? All these people, I know what they're good at. I'm a pretty good speaker. I'm pretty confident. I've got this like composure under pressure. Like I've got, I've got some, some good skills here too. You know, maybe it's not at the level of you feeling like you're, you know, peers with all of these people that are like, you know, killing it. But again, it's important to remind yourself, not just how you compare to other people, but even, you know, where you were six months ago to where you are now seeing that progress and feeling a little bit more like you can, you can trust and believe in yourself. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm reminded of the expression to uh, always be the dumbest person in the room, right? Because if you are, if you're, the, or never be the smartest person in the room, I think is the quote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because if you're the smartest person in the room, you have nothing to learn, nothing to grow, right? But if you're the dumbest person, like the opportunity is, is all there. So I love how you were able to, to kind of reframe that and uh, the the uh, approach to look inward, right? And obviously that's a process, uh, as, as you've mentioned before. It's not going to be that, well, you flip a switch and automatically tomorrow, imposter syndrome is gone. It's going to be like, okay, imposter syndrome is a, a, a 10 out of 10, then 9, 8, 7, 6, 4. And that might take weeks, that might take months, that, that might take years. And to, to your earlier point, it probably will never get to a zero. But the whole point is maybe just get it to four so it doesn't uh, negate any of the things that, uh, that you've accomplished before. Uh, and then we can work on a whole bunch of other things as, as well. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, great. And, and, and some of the other things that you might want to work for, how do they translate to someone, let's say, in a senior executive role or someone in a sales role? Because most of the examples are more on the entrepreneurship side. Uh, would they be much different? Because it sounds like they're fairly uh, transferable into those areas as well. Yep. I would say that, you know what, the, the tools remain mostly the same. It's the experience within that that changes, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. the experience of a first year entrepreneur is very different than the experience of a, a CEO managing a company of, you know, 600 people, right? It's a okay. very different experience, but the tools kind of remain the same. It, it's almost like if you go to a gym, whether it's your first day at the gym or you've been going to the gym every day for, you know, 15 years, it's the same equipment, right? The weights are there, the the mats are there, the change rooms are the same. You're just doing different things and you're just adding different weights to it, right? So if it's mm -hmm. your first day, maybe you're lifting 10 pounds, you know, but you look to your side and someone's doing the exact same exercise, but they're doing it with like 80 pound dumbbells, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, the exercise remains the same, but it's what you're doing with it and what you're getting out of it that changes. Obviously, there's nuances that, you know, for example, a, a CEO may experience differently than, than somebody else. But at the end of the day, it's taking the same tools and just finding different ways to personalize it, customize it, really tailor it to the individual taking part. But there's no reason why the structure has to change. It's more so the individual experience within that structure is what kind of customizes it to them. That's awesome. And... Um... I'm wondering if you can share a few more things for folks to kind of do on their own before they reach out to you. So you, you mentioned the exercise about writing down the negative self-talk, right? Um, for me, what I usually do is, is take a page, put a line down the middle, negative stuff on the left, and what do you want to think or what should you uh, 
plan to do for, for the next time. So that that's one exercise which which is aligned with with what you suggest. Are there any other things that you uh, are very commonly working with folks with, and something that folks can get started with uh, t today? And then if they need more help, they can reach out to you. Yeah, you know what, a, a major major one is journaling. Right. Hmm. Grabbing a notebook and, and at the end of the night, writing down, basically just, just documenting your progress for the day, saying, what did I do today? How did I feel about it? How can I build on this tomorrow? Because what it does is it is it does a few things. Number one, you're documenting your progress, right? Which is like solid gold because it just, it adds so much value down the line, right? Just documenting day to day, even on the days where you didn't do anything, still worth writing down, right? So step one is you're documenting your progress. Number two is you're developing a sense of self-awareness because you're asking yourself mm. these questions. What did I do? How did I feel about it? Did I have a frustrating day? Did I have a successful day? Was it somewhere in between? So you're asking yourself those questions, which are very important to build that sense of self-awareness. And the third part, which is arguably the most valuable, is it gives you an opportunity to evaluate and analyze trends, right? So if you've been writing every night, for two weeks and you feel like, well, you know, I don't really know what I'm getting out of this. I've just been writing for two weeks. What's the point? Well, now look back at it, right? Over the last two weeks, take a look. What were your three most productive days? Go find them, highlight them. What were your three least productive days? Are there any trends? You might say, oh, you know what? On my three most productive days, I actually scheduled stuff earlier in the morning, which is weird. Usually I think that I, I'm tired, but you know, on the days where I started earlier, I had a more productive day. On the days where I had a longer lunch, on the days where I, you know, mix it up between online and in person, whatever, right? You look at trends. Same thing on the other side. On your least productive days, what were the things that you were doing, right? Did you spend more time on your phone? Were you playing Xbox in the middle of the day, right? Like stuff like right. that. And you can only get to that point once you've collected the information, right? So, you know, and, and I feel like I've said this to you before, but one of my favorite quotes is that you have to collect the dots to connect the dots, right? Hmm. You have to gather the information before you look at it and, and analyze the trend. So even on a day-to-day -day when you're writing in this journal and you're writing about what you did, how it felt, ways to build on it, you know, there's going to be some inherent value just from doing it on, as a, as a one-off. But the real true value comes after a week or two weeks or a month or six months where you can look back, look at all that data that you've collected, look at the trends. And from there, you're able to optimize what you're doing. Because at the end of a year, imagine all of that information you have. If you can outline really the ingredients of your most productive days and strive to just do that every day, you know, exponential growth, because now you're going to cut through a lot of that noise and a lot of that kind of stuff that wasn't too helpful. And you're able to optimize yourself, be way more productive. And that's something that you did for yourself just by documenting. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I'm pretty sure you did share uh, collect the dots to connect the dots. But uh, it's good when, when you say it. It reminds me of another quote where uh, I think it's Socrates, it says like, the unexamined life is not worth living, right? Mm -hmm. So taking this moment to journal, to write down your negative to you, all, all of these sorts of things. Um, and, and I love what you said about the, the, the self-awareness part as well, because at the very least, like you get to spend some time uh, with yourself and, and get to know a little bit more about yourself, which arguably is the most important person <laughs> to get to know. And, and maybe a, a few minutes to, to actually feel and understand uh, your emotions. Because sometimes people think, um, and angry, they're angry, or they're sad or whatever. But what, what kind of angry? Is it really angry, frustrated, or, or just annoyed or pissed off, right? So because there's different levels of those. And sometimes, uh, when, when, like you said about the, the labels, right? If you can adjust or temper, like, were you really 
angry or we're just a little bit annoyed, right? There's a very different sense of energy between the, the two. And uh, if, if you can uh, adjust or, or uh, uh, even downplay some of it or even increase it, say, you know what? I have every right to be angry. <laughs> uh, just acknowledge that uh, as well. And I think uh, journaling is definitely a great uh, opportunity to do that. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, amazing tips. Are there a few other takeaways that you'd want to have and, and share with folks who, who, who want to work with, with, with someone like yourself um, to be able to help with uh, their, their, their mindset, their, their mental toughness in, in the uh, business or tech world? Are, are there any other uh, key takeaways or, or things to think about uh, as, as folks uh, become interested in this area? Yeah, for sure. You know what I, th I think one of the main takeaways is that to, you know, to pursue something like mental training, you don't need to have any sort of inherent issues. I think sometimes that's the assumption mm. is that I need to have a problem that needs to be fixed to pursue something like this. You know, what if I'm already confident? What if I'm already motivated and driven and mentally tough? You know, maybe I don't need something like this. And, and I would actually argue the opposite, which is that the people that come into something like this with a higher baseline of toughness and drive and motivation actually get way more out of something like this because of the of the foundation that's already there right if you think about it if you already have a toughness and a drive naturally right without it being trained imagine how much you can elevate that with the right training sure. right it's like being naturally athletic but you've never gone to a gym you've never worked out imagine how strong you could get with that base right of course there, there's people that have direct things they want to work on, whether it's the negative self-talk, whether it's the structure and being goal-oriented. Of course, there's definitely room to come into this with things that you definitely want to address. But, you know, arguably, like I said before, a lot of the people that get the most value out of, out of mental training are the people that don't necessarily struggle with anything that they can think of, but are just looking to further optimize themselves. That's really where a lot of this lies. So whether you're listening to something like this and you've been able to identify, yeah, you know what, there are some things I'm really struggling with that would be useful to, to target. That's great. And if you're coming into it thinking, well, you know, I found a lot of success just doing it on my own. I don't really struggle with anything in particular, but, you know, I consider myself to be mentally tough and, and mentally strong and focused. It's still worth seeing what we can do with that. Because again, with a baseline that's high like that, where you're already coming into it with those skills, you know, adding the, the, the right kind of structure to it and the right ingredients, you know, takes it to it to another level. For sure. And, and I'm reminded of the fact that oftentimes uh, coaches and, and mentors, right, that they're supposedly giving out the advice and, and, and dishing it out. Um, but they often have their own blind spots, right? Because uh, they, they know what they know. And, and sometimes it's really hard to see uh, kind of what's right in front of your face. So, so uh, but an external party, someone like yourself could easily identify, hey, is that thought like that the thought that you keep saying is that actually true is that helpful uh, that sort of thing like oh yeah i didn't i didn't realize that that i constantly say that or we'll go through that i love what you said that it's uh really for everybody right it doesn't have to be the person who has the issue it could be the person's like you know what i'm, I'm pretty solid but nobody's a, a 10 out of 10, right? Everybody's kind of like a nine. You can always take the nine and, and make it a little better. And imagine the compounding that happens because if you're uh, operating at like a 90% and, and that continually increases year over year versus you started at 20% and that continually increases, then then the uh, rate of return and, and the output will probably be significantly increased. So yeah, so, so basically the, the summary is, it's really for everybody. And, and the main piece is, do you actually have a goal to want to be better? Because obviously for those who are just, nah, I'll go with the flow and keep everything as is, eh, this is probably not necessarily the best 
thing for you. Um, but at the same time, if you want the, to, to get better and have the desire to be better, that, that would be, uh, I think, uh, amazing. Yeah, and also the, so, the sense of competitiveness, right? Like if you're starting up here <laughs> and you're not doing anything about it, but there's someone that starts here that's like really trying, over time, yeah. they're going to surpass. So there's also kind of that fear of like, hey, even though I feel like I'm naturally there, I don't want anybody to outwork me. I always want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing all the things I can and utilizing all the all the tools at my disposal. So I think there's that kind of competitiveness to it too, which is even when you're starting at a pretty high spot, you don't want anybody to kind of catch up and, and outwork that too. So I think adding that kind of competitive flair to it is helpful too sometimes. Yeah, that's great. So an another thought, if you are a competitive person, this is for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Something that could definitely help out. So uh, thanks so much, Dylan, for, for having the conversation and sharing a little bit of why some mental toughness and mental training. And I think to your examples of uh, kind of uh, physical, physical activity in athletes, this is really a, a, a mental gym, mental training, right? It's not one thing where you go to the gym for, for, for 90 minutes and then you're suddenly healthy and you're fit <laughs> and you're strong. No, you got to do it on a regular basis and keep up to date. Now, hopefully you'll be able to maintain that uh, much more easily over time. Um, but but it is it is a practice that you got to go through. And really, it's for everyone. Uh, people who are competitive will, will probably have more fun with it. <laughs> it's probably uh, one, one aspect of it. And if folks want to start with easy things like uh, writing down their negativity, journaling, uh, so that they can have some of that uh, self-awareness and, and evaluating themselves and looking for, for trends, uh, then for anything that you can't spot, reach out to someone like Dylan. So uh, and any parting words for folks? Uh, as we kind of close off the uh, podcast? Not really. I mean, listen, I think this was, uh, again, a great a great way to talk about not only the different themes and stuff in general, but dig into some of the actual tactics, right? And I think if there's one thing to take away, it's that mental training isn't just like motivational speaking. Hey, you can do it. Keep it up. You know, it really is tactical. It really is tangible, right? There's a structure to it. And I think sometimes that's one of the misconceptions is like, ah, oh, you know, just a bunch of talk. It's a bunch of this and that. I don't know, maybe some people do it that way. At least the way I like to take it is very structured, very tangible to make sure that there's something that you can walk out of every session, you know, with as, as a tool. So, you know, that's the main takeaway as well is that this stuff isn't just in theory. It's very much so in practice. And when you do the right things for a certain amount of time on a consistent basis, there's no way that you can fail because of that longevity. So it's just focusing on doing little things every single day and striving to be better. And really, you know, a lot of great things come from just doing that alone. Sounds good. Whenever you take knowledge and put it into practice, it's that much more beneficial. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much, uh, Dylan, for sharing your, your wisdom. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back for future episodes. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot. This was great. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.